And so last week, Pastor Jared talked about how we want our attitudes and our, our beliefs and our thoughts, uh, we want to imitate God in those things. We want to imitate him in our thoughts and beliefs. And so this week, we're going to be building off of that, and we're going to be talking about how we can imitate God, not only in that, but also in our actions and how we outwardly uh, do things. And so if you, are, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Ephesians 5, 1 to 20. Um, we're going to read the whole chunk, so it's going to be a little lengthy, so follow along, uh, but then we'll go back and kind of break some down. I'm going to start in verse 3, because we already read the first two. And it says, Let there be no sexual immor- immortality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is, is an idolater, worshiper of things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about these things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. That is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your heart and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so the city of Ephesus where this, uh, this epistle was written to, it is much like ours today. Okay, it's, it's, this epistle is the one that could be written to our church right now and, and, and today because they're going through the exact same things that we are going through. And so Paul is giving a warning to the church saying how sin should not be prevalent among those who love Jesus. And so the first thing we need to know is that it is among those who love Jesus. So it's not, he's not talking about unbelievers outside of the church or people who are in the church who don't believe in Jesus yet. He's not talking about them. This is for those who call Jesus their Lord and Savior and believe in him. Okay, and he goes in to mention some specific sins. My guess is the church was struggling with some of these sins more than other ones. And so he's mostly talking about sexual sin and greed. Again, this is not an exhaustive list of sins, but these are the ones that were most prevalent in this church. And so Paul is warning this church against these sins. Okay, these sins are the desire to have more, to have more. It fuels sexual sins. It fuels greed. In fact, sin has been described as seeking to get more out of life than God put into it. We want more. These sins can take root in people who, who, where God is not enough to satisfy their desires. They get all these things, but they want to add just a little bit more. They're like, no, I need a little bit more than that, and so they want to add on. So maybe that's an extramarital marriage or relationship. Maybe that's cheating on a loved one. Maybe that's looking at things they weren't supposed to. Or maybe it's trying to gain more and more because they want to feel financially secure. Or they want more things because they're not satisfied with life and so they're trying to add things on top in order to feel that satisfaction. But none of these things work out. 
And these sins can easily creep into our church disguised as common things in this world because in society, these aren't that bad. And so it can easily slide into our church because we are not on guard, and that is dangerous. And so Paul in this passage is presenting some quite strong language, in my opinion, with with what will happen to those who willfully continue to sin. And the warning is that they will be excluded from the kingdom of God. This is because those that are continuing to sin are going against God in their actions. They want more than what God is giving them. They are choosing the world over Christ. Remember, you can't have one hand on the things of this world and one hand on Christ. It doesn't work like that. Both of them demand all of your attention. Jesus said that we don't, he doesn't want lukewarm Christians. That's the worst. People who, are, who say they follow Jesus but love the world. And so it's one or the other. You can't have both. And so when people do choose the things of this world, Jesus will respect that. And he will not force us to choose him. But the thing is, those deeds and those sins, they will separate us from the kingdom of God. And so we don't need to return to this destructive teaching of like a fire and brimstone, like turn or burn. That was destructive and it was not good at all. But we need to remember our theology on judgment. One commentary puts it, if there's no judgment, no one needs salvation. And what, and what we do does not matter. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Okay, and so Paul never used scare ta- tactics. Okay? He never wanted to scare people into believing, and neither should we. But the threat of judgment is real. But it's not the threat of judgment that makes us turn to Jesus. Yes, it can be a good reminder, kind of a kick in the butt of like, oh yeah, I got to focus on Jesus again. But, it, but, he's, but we aren't supposed to use that to follow Jesus. But we need to remember, like Pastor Jeremy said last week, that we, are saved, we aren't f- saved from something, but to something. Paul isn't saying, follow Jesus, or you're going to hell. Because in this passage, Paul doesn't even use the word for hell. Okay, but the motivation is that we are being saved to someone, to Jesus, to life in the fullest. Okay, Jesus is greater than the fear of what he is saving us from. He should be the focus, not the fear. That life with Jesus is worth fleeing the worldly pleasure, is worth fleeing sin from and pursuing him because life with Jesus is so full. It will, not, it will leave us not wanting more. It should, it should leave us overflowing that we want to give instead. And so we need to separate from that sin and from those who may cause us to fall into that sin. Verses 6 6 to 7 and 11 says, Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things these people do. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Okay, in the ancient world, Jews and Christians had a hard time making a living. Because often where they worked, these places would belong to a guild, and so then they would pay to the the local deity. They would give money to the local deity. And so Christians and Jews had a hard time morally working there, knowing that they were giving to another god besides the Lord. And so they had to try to find how to live in the world without sacrificing to the world's deities. And so the same goes for us today. How do we live in the world but not take part in what it does? Do we separate from them completely? Yes, Paul mentions that we need to separate from the world. The separation Paul calls for, however, is not so much a withdrawal as a confrontation. 
Paul's in calling for a geographical separation of like, you can't be near them, you can't associate with them, you gotta move towns and, and only live with fellow Christians in a place, okay? But he's saying it's a refusal to participate in the sins they are doing, a refusal to, to get away from their indecent actions. We separate from sin, not people. This is because in order for the light, in order for Jesus to accomplish its purpose, we need to be rubbing shoulders with unbelievers. So we cannot withdraw from the world but we must confront sin and worldly things. We need to be a light to those who don't know the light, a light for those who are steeped in sin. Verse eight and nine says, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Okay, we were once full of darkness. Okay, we weren't in darkness. It says we were once full of darkness. Our soul was dark when we did not know Jesus But then when we discovered Jesus, his light entered our life and it is only from knowing God and knowing Christ crucified and raised to life that we can have this light that comes from Jesus. Okay, it's understanding that this light leads to life. There's no other way besides through Jesus. And once we accept Jesus, that darkness that was inside of us is now gone because where light is present, darkness cannot exist To have the light of Jesus shine on us is to be transformed into what he is. To be in him is to take on his nature. Christians are light in the Lord. It's not our own light that we possess, but it's the light from the Lord. The Holy Spirit inside of us when we accept him that illuminates out. Our life changes when we receive Jesus. There's a greater joy, there's a greater hope in him. And we don't want to keep that to ourselves. We want to share it for those who don't know because it has changed our lives so much. But living as lights in this world is not the easiest thing. You know, often Christians are not very well liked in this world. You know, the Christian name gets dragged through the mud. Christians are known more for what they're against and what they're for. You know, Christians just aren't very well loved in society. This is because the light of Jesus, well, one of the reasons, is because the light of Jesus exposes sin and so that those who are, not, who, who are in sin do not like the light because it exposes their sin. John 3, 20 to 21, all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. But there's a tension that Christians have to live in. We gotta try to be in the world to show people Jesus' light, but we don't want to scare them away before they have a chance to hear the gospel. But we aren't supposed to be of the world and take part in the things that it does. And so it's a fine line of how we can approach and share Jesus' light with people. If we get too much into the world, it's like we're turning down our lamp so dim that, that nothing is happening, that it is doing nothing to dispel the darkness. That's when we are too much in the world that our light does nothing to illuminate anything. We're consumed by the darkness. Or if we remove the lamp entirely from the darkness so it doesn't get affected, then it's not going to affect the world. The lamp doesn't affect darkness at all either if we remove it. So we cannot run from the world. We cannot retreat into our Christian corner. So we don't want to dim our lights down so others don't run away, but we also don't want to remove ourselves completely from the world because we fear that we're going to be too much in the world. So how do we live in a world but not of it? How can, we, how can our lights affect the dark without turning it, out, turning it off completely or being completely consumed? 
And so when I was in high school, grade 11 and 12, uh, I had a youth pastor, and we would go up to um, our grad parties. They're called bush parties, up in the forest where everyone would go and they would, uh, all the high schoolers would party hard, you know, 300, 400 kids up there. And we would go up there, we would bring a car and we would set up kind of near the middle. We'd set up a table, a barbecue, um, hot dogs, hamburger, or not hamburgers, just hot dogs and hot dog buns and stuff like that and water. And we would be at these bush parties and we would cook hot dogs for people and give them out for free and give out water because we wanted them to, uh, wanted just to help them, make sure they are being hydrated and things like that. And we also wanted to keep a lookout. We wanted to be a safe place so we could be seeing what is happening and how we can help. And also we drove people home. If people were sick and they needed to go home or um, they, they, they just needed to go home, we would then just drive them home for them, you know, free of charge, obviously. And because it's pretty dark up there. You know, the darkness was very present. It was very heavy. You could feel it because there's not many good things happening up there. And so we went up there. No agenda, no preaching the gospel, no, no, not, no judging anyone. We were there just to serve and love students who had been consumed by the darkness. Our one and only goal was to be a light in a dark place. And it was crazy how many people saw that light People would come up and they'd ask, why are you doing this? Why are you giving these things away for free? Why are you up here? And we would just say that, you know, we're, we're from a youth group. This is a youth pastor and we just want to love people and make sure everyone's taken care of. And so people were so incredibly thankful. We had good conversations with, about faith with some people even. People came to us when they were in need or when they were scared because we were a light in a dark place. And everyone could see that. Even after the party had finished, we saw people who we met at, at that party come to youth group for once. They got to hear the gospel. Students also even gave them a shout out on the grad page saying, thank you for being there. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for being there. So we are a light in a dark place. No amount of darkness can consume the light of Jesus. So when we go and we love people with the love of Christ, no agenda, no judging, Christ is being shown to people through your actions. Okay, light is evident. It's not just the way that we speak to people. We don't have to preach the gospel at people all the time. But it's the way, it's in our actions and our behavior and the way we conduct ourselves is what speaks to people. That's how our light can be shown. The light of Jesus can be shown. So walking as children of light means revealing God's light in our daily life. By our conduct and our character, we bring God's light into a dark world. And as God's light, we help others find their way to Christ. And so church, do not be conformed to the world, but show people Christ's light through your life and your love for everyone. How is your light shine, shining? Are people seeing it? Are unbelievers asking about it? Is it radiating the love of Christ or is it radiating judgment? Are you being in the world of not, uh, and not of it, keeping away from sins in our culture. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We do not want to love the world, but we want to love the people in the world. And so the question remains, how do we live as people of light? How do we live in a dark world? What is required of us? And so I have three things. The first thing is we need God's spirit actively living in our lives. Okay, Paul compares being filled with the Holy Spirit with drunkenness. Verse 18, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Okay, Paul was giving a general warning against a dangerous and unacceptable lifestyle. Okay, a sin that was probably also prevalent in the church. But he wanted to do this and provide a contrast with the control of what having the Holy Spirit in your life looks like. Okay, so the drunk is under the control of another force. Okay, alcohol is a depressant. He feels good. The person has a sense of release. All the worries are gone. They can live their life, say whatever they want. Nothing is hidden. But he's out of control since the alcohol affects his brain. Okay, and then Paul contrasts that with a believer who's filled with the Holy Spirit. God controls his life, and he experiences a deep joy that he is not afraid to express, but, and he is willing to be a fool for Christ's sakes. And so there's similarities between these two, but also a stark difference. Okay, the drunk calls attention to himself, while the spirit-filled believer is a witness for Christ. Paul point, Paul's point, then, is that the Holy Spirit is a controlling influence. It's something that grounds us and motivates us to be a light. And so as believers, if you have Christ's light in you, you will be under control. You'll be able to make wise decisions and, and choose things, and from out of you will come good things that people will then see the light. And so if the Spirit is active in your life, then it will result in fruit. For the light that within you produces only what is good and right and true. Okay, love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things will be evident in your life if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. This should be exuding out of you. It doesn't just exist within you. It's supposed to go out and, and affect people and, and touch people. And so these should be in our lives as everyone who believes in Jesus, and we should be operating in these. And so my question for you, is it evident that Jesus' Spirit and light is within you? What fruit is evident in your life that points towards Jesus? Second thing is we need to use the light to expose what is wrong or sin. Verse 14, for the light makes everything visible. The light of the Lord exposes sin in our own lives. Okay, when you feel that conviction, you know, that little thing inside of you that's like kind of, it's, it's, not, it's hard to even explain, but you just feel this thought, this idea that's of, of, of not to do something, you know, that sin that you've kind of been getting into, but you feel that inside of you saying, don't do it, run, run. Okay, that's the Holy Spirit convicting you and giving you a way out from sin, saying, don't get steeped in sin, don't fall back into, but here is a way out. Okay, listen to it. Run from sin, all right? Let the light dispel the darkness. Don't let the darkness cover up your light. Don't get stuck in sin. Okay, and the light that is also in us helps us illuminate sin to others. Okay, this one is a little more tricky, a little more difficult. Because how do we illuminate sin in other people's lives without coming across as judgmental or holier than thou? All right, Paul gives us a pretty good description in uh, chapter 4, verse 2 of the same book. He calls the Ephesians to humility, gentleness, patience, and tolerant love. These are great fruits of the Spirit that I think everyone should have and should be practicing on the daily. Okay, this will help people refuse to be involved with the world and the sins that happen, but still care deeply for the people doing it. By a tolerant love, by patience, gentleness, and humility. Okay, we want to engage in affirmation before we engage in confrontation. And our relationship to the other person will also determine our ability to do so. And then when it comes to unbelievers, we need to be extra cautious on how to do this because it's a touchy subject. 
Okay, there needs to be a lot of love before the confrontation can come. And we need Jesus' discernment on how to best do that. One commentary puts it, We do not have the right to force a Christian ethic on a non-Christian populace, especially if such ethics are theologically driven. At the same time, we cannot be passive and avoid calling the darkness dark. By both lifestyle and conversation, we should be instruments by which the light does its work. Instead of just telling people what's wrong, love them, show them the light, treat them with respect and love. Don't expect them to necessarily follow what you're doing because we can't expect someone to have the Christian attitudes in them if they don't believe in Jesus, but love them, love them well, get to know them, get them to trust you, and eventually when the Lord leads you and gives you opportunity, then you can confront them in their sin while loving them still. You have to love them in order to confront sin. And so my question for you is, what unbelievers are you rubbing shoulders with? How is your character and conduct speaking to unbelievers and believers? Is it revealing sin in a good way or in a judgmental way? Thirdly, we need to reveal Jesus. When we have the light of Jesus in us and we have confronted our own sin, we need to reveal that light to others. So are we living out the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations? Are we witnessing about Jesus to those who don't know him? Because in my knowledge of the gospel, this is hand in hand with being a Christian, is sharing that light, not keeping it for ourselves. And so who are you showing Jesus to? Do you need help with that? Do you need opportunities to do that? Okay, are you serving within our church? There are many ways that you can be showing Jesus' light to people here. Okay, serving kids' church downstairs. Okay, there are kids down there that are hungry for the gospel. And all they need is someone to be down there and to be a light for them that shows them Jesus by the way you love them and serve them by helping kids' ministry. Okay, maybe join our welcome team. Greet people as they come to church. Because I guarantee you one day someone's going to walk in that front door who does not know Jesus. And they're going to see you. And they're going to see Jesus through you without even stepping foot into this auditorium. Okay, they're going to see Jesus through the light of you just welcoming and loving people. Okay, serving youth. Help students who are broken in this community, who don't have loving parents, who doesn't have a loving family. Help them realize that Jesus loves them. Be a light to them by loving them when it's difficult, because it is difficult. Serve in our care team. Be a light to someone who just lost a loved one, got, di got, got diagnosed with a difficult diagnosis, or who's lonely. In their darkest hour, be their light. There's many other ways, serving our hospitality team, community engagement, worship team. These are all opportunities where you can be a light for someone, maybe even bring someone from darkness to the light. Sitting in these seats each week, learning about God's love, you know, learning how to worship, learning how to read your Bible, they're great things. But it's not something that will help you bring someone from the darkness to the light. It won't help you reveal Christ to someone. Okay, God's asking us to go into the world, to be a light to the nation. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
Okay, there's no age limit to this. Okay, if you're young, you're students, if you're young adults, this is for you. God wants to use you to be a light. A lot of you are in school. Okay, the schools are probably one of the darkest places in our society. The biggest mission field where kids don't know Jesus. You guys can be a light to them. Show them Jesus. God wants to use you. If you're an adult in this room, you're in so many different social circles, you have friends, you're in different things, you're uh, rubbing shoulders with other families, you can be a light to them. You have such a big opportunity to show Christ to someone. God wants to use you. If you're a senior, like Jer said, God is not done using you. You have a lot of light to give. You have... You have a lot of knowledge. You've experienced Jesus in ways that we can't even fathom. So use that light. Be that light for someone. God's not done using you. Let's not grow apathetic to Jesus' mission, church. Let's not come up with excuses. Let's come alongside him and use our light to bring others to the light. Let's get past imitating Jesus in just our thoughts and our beliefs and our attitudes. Let's imitate him in our love for people. And so I strongly encourage you, if you need a way to show your light to someone. We have a find your fit board out there where you guys can find your fit, find a place where you can serve others, where you can be a light to other people. It's a great opportunity. Ask the Lord to reveal what he wants you to do because God wants you to be a light to someone. It's the question to ask yourself. Are people coming to know Jesus through your life? If so, how can you continue to do so? If not, what needs to change in order to do so? If you haven't yet, uh, we're going to take communion. And so if you haven't grabbed it, you go ahead and grab it. But these last two passages have emphasized our new life as contrasted with the old. That we are now made new in Jesus. We have a new life. He's the source of our life and we are done with the old and we are now live, uh, living as lights in, in a dark world. And so to live as lights in a dark world is to know Christ crucified and raised to life. That he died for you and me. He died for us and those who don't even believe in him. He did so, so that we could have the Christ light living in us. That's the only way that we could have it. We cannot lose focus of that. That should be our driving factor. That should be our motivating factor to live as lights in the world. That Jesus did it for us sacrifice his life so that we could go out into the world and make disciples. And so let's just take two minutes and remember his sacrifice. Close your eyes. Think about it and picture his sacrifice, his hands, his feet, nailed to a cross, the beatings, the whips, the humiliation, the spit, having to carry that cross down that road the crown of thorns piercing his head, blood dripping down the cross. Think about that sacrifice, how great it was and what it means for us today. So God is good. God is with us. And God has, God has given us life 
in life to the fullest. So let's not keep that to ourselves, but let's go out into the world, rub shoulders with unbelievers, show people the light that Christ has given us. Remember to check out the Find Your Fit board on your way out. Find a place where God's calling you, that you need, that you need a fit, and that you will be a light to someone.